Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a more comprehensive and customized buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue for your business, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. Are you going to be at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Australia? Sydney, even, on the 14th and 15th of November. You should be. I'm giving the opening keynote about change. I'm also bringing my friend, Simon Mab, the CEO of Booking Protect, with me, and he's going to be talking about customer service. Get your tickets to the Ticketing Professionals Conference today by visiting their website at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. That email or that website again is www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As an added bonus, Simon and I are going to give you a gift. If you buy your tickets today, forward me your receipt to dave at davewakeman.com and we will do something special for you. We're probably going to have a happy hour or an event on Wednesday, the 13th of November. And we'll get you to that, but we'll probably do something else for you too. So make sure you buy your tickets right now, www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au and get to Sydney on the 14th and 15th of November. Also, if you like the Business of Fun podcast, you might just like my newsletter. It's the Business of Value. Every Sunday I send out a letter. It's my most personal thing that I do all week long that focuses on how you can create and capture more value, how you can give more benefit to the organizations and the people you work with and serve. Um, it's great. And you can get that for free by sending me an email at daviddavewakeman.com. Put newsletter in the subject line, and I'll get you signed up. My guest today is someone I have been excited to talk to for a while. Um, not because I don't get a chance to talk to him normally, um, because Harrison Monarth is a friend of mine. Uh, but he has written a book that I think is probably the best book I've read this year. And you know that is not to something to be taken lightly, because his book, the second edition of Executive Presence, The Art of Commanding Respect, like a CEO, just came out. And what happened, because I read his book, is I went through some a process of change and rethinking my business myself. Um, as I highlight at the very start of the podcast, I did three things almost immediately after finishing the book. Um, I did a 360 assessment of myself where I asked about a dozen people I know uh, how they viewed me and my business and the things I'm working on and if they could give me some feedback. The second thing I focused on was making sure that I had better control of my emotions, not letting little stuff get to me, uh, making sure and understanding that the emotional uh, way presence that I gave to people had an impact. And then the third thing is making sure that like I was dressing and presenting myself in a fashion and a style that reflected who I wanted the world to see me as. Uh, sometimes when you live in D.C., D.C. not a fashion mecca. By any stretch of the imagination, uh, you can uh, you can let yourself get a little lax. And I realized that I had been doing that and that it wasn't reflecting who I wanted to be. I mean, that's those are just three surface level changes that I made. Um, but we covered a lot in this in this podcast. 
I mean, I think we, like as far as this book goes, we could have talked for hours about this. We talked about a lot about what executive presence is, who is for, why it matters. Uh, we talked about self-awareness. We talked about um, social intelligence, uh, empathy, controlling your emotions, um, how executive presence is a fluid concept. We talked about how to get people to take action. We talked about storytelling. We talked about personal branding. We talked about um, motivation. We talked about um, who leaders are. Like who leaders are. We had a really interesting thing where I gave Harrison some of the people I look to as leaders and explained why. And he explained the dark side of some of these things and how uh, leadership and executive presence is a fluid concept and something that you're kind of constantly working on, developing, and focusing on. Uh, it is really a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, I think that I can't endorse his book more strongly. I think you should pick it up. You should read it. I'm going to put the book in the show notes. I'm going to blog um, with a link to the book. Um, Again, this is probably the best book I've read all year. Uh, It's just so densely packed with ideas and things. It motivated me to act and rethink things and change things. And if I can't give you a stronger endorsement of a book than that. So without any more for me here's my conversation with harrison monarth on the business fun podcast i want to welcome my friend harrison monarth to the business of fun podcast harrison how are you today i'm good dave thank you thanks for having me oh man i have been waiting for this because you know this because we're friends outside of the podcast um Mm -hmm. and i was telling you only loosely because i didn't want to sound like i was kissing up to you um (laughs) because i don't have to do that uh but your book is i think one of the best books i've read all year if not the best and the title of it just so i get that out of the way at the very start is executive presence the art of commanding respect like a ceo this is the second edition and I bring that up because I know that we talked about last time some of the examples in the first edition would be a little dated and almost embarrassing if if we mm-hmm. if we didn't <laughs> if you didn't update it. Uh, but it's a fantastic book. Um, I want to start out by saying you know a couple things, and then we'll get into the conversation. Number one, I say that not because you're my friend, but because I think it is great. Uh, it is one of the most well researched and densely packed books. Uh, it is. Um, inspiring. I've taken actions and I wanted to give you three things that I've done that have had a huge impact on me over just the last like month to six weeks since reading the book. Number one is I did a 360 assessment. I asked about a dozen colleagues and friends to send them a list of questions. I said, look, can you tell me how you view me compared to this? And it was really powerful. The second thing that I did was I focused more on how to control my emotions, right? Um, I, I think we all can get a little bit over our skis as far as our emotional um, control sometimes and understanding that the way you react to the world around you is very important as far as your ability to be a leader. And then the third was one that I think we were laughing about the last time we got together in New York was style and fashion. Um, I live in D.C. I'm going to say that D.C. not a fashion center, uh, full stop. And I had allowed a little bit of that to creep into my own fashion sense uh it's to the point now that I make sure that i'm always wearing uh you know even if it's casual clothes something that reflects the image that i want to present to the world um you know and those three alone were the top three but there's many many others that said knowing that my commercial is out of the way and I, i've you know talked about me enough how would you define executive presence since you've written a book and 
it's a broad concept. Simplify it for us. You know, what exactly is executive presence? Uh, Absolutely. So to me, executive presence is fundamentally about influence, about having influence and having an impact, right? So you have executive presence. First of all, you don't say that about yourself, right? You don't say, I have executive presence. That's something other people have to say about you, right? Just like you don't say about yourself, I have charisma or I have magnetism, right? That just would be very goofy. And how do you know? You wouldn't know, right? Unless you asked other people. So executive presence is something where other people see you as an authentic leader, an authentic person, an influencer, somebody who inspires confidence in his ideas and her ideas, proposals, your vision, right? Somebody that people can trust and respect and want to follow, basically, right? So to me, it's a fluid combination of certain skills, behaviors, temperament, and judgment, many of them which I captured in the book, that basically all add up to this personal power that inspires and engages people. So that's the, right? So that's my description of it. As far as, uh, you know, what it is in terms of so on a more granular level. So these different skills, behaviors that I'm talking about, uh, I'll give you some examples, right? And they're, they are all in the book, right? So they are the ability to engage people, right? Your, your charm, seductiveness, your, your ability to hold a conversation, your wit, uh, your willingness to reach out to someone, right? To, to engage first, um, your ability to project confidence, calmness, composure, your sense of self, self self-control, those things. The ability to manage up uh, successfully, right? Manage your boss, manage your boss's boss, your intellect and expertise. The ability to deliver results, achieving results through other people, having, being able to have difficult conversations with people. Like for instance, in in the business world or in the working world, holding people accountable is a very important conversation to have. So many people shy away from that because emotions get involved, right? You don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or you don't quite know how to approach it. Um, And so holding people accountable in a way that both walk away from the conversation feeling good about it, that's a skill, right? To me, that's part of executive presence. You're political savvy. How do you connect with people? Do you easily create connections, allies? Can you find sponsors? Can you find people that advocate for you? Again, those are things that are part of executive presence Two, the things you just mentioned, you know, your physical appearance. How do you show up Um, your your communication ability? Can you express yourself simply so that people get it or are you overly complex? Can you not come down from Mount Olympus and you're speaking only in your sort of, you know, domain expertise lingo? So there are lots of different things that go into executive presence. Yeah. And the thing that is I think everybody should be paying attention to, right? Because on the surface you go, well, executive presence, I'm not an executive, right? Is that it's for everyone, right? Like everyone should be thinking about these things. Everyone. Absolutely. Uh, In fact, I had lots of people, I had lots of people uh, either write to me or or tell me, man, I wish I would have had this book when I, you know, when I uh, did my MBA or when when I graduated from college. Although when they say that, one of the things I think is you wouldn't have appreciated it then. Like you would, when, in fact, one of our friends here in the building that live in the building, their son just is just starting college. And I thought, you know, I want to give him this book. 
And I'm thinking, but he won't appreciate it yet, right? He's, he's, you've got to sort of find your way a little bit first, you know, get knocked around a little bit first before you can actually appreciate the principles. But then, you know, some people will. Some people will be like, oh, well, I get this. And I, and actually, I'm, as I'm saying this, I almost have to, I always have to correct myself because when I was 16, I read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, the way you communicate, the way you interact with people can have such a huge impact. So maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe maybe people, you know, that, that are starting college that are in college can actually appreciate it more than I more than I think. So but anyway, you're right. It's a book that really works for everyone. Right. And and what it was interesting about this, what you just said too, is I think that a lot of times when you're finding a book or you find an idea or you know, you find a mentor, any kind of, um, you know, inspiration, I guess, is a catch-all term. It's mm-hmm. often you'll hear this idea over and over and over again, but it and it'll come back to you, keep circling back to you, and it'll only strike you at the right moment, right? Yes. And that's, you know, that's what's important here because one of the things that I'm always speaking to my audience on the podcast or in my writing or any of the other stuff I do is, is that you always need to be improving yourself. Mm-hmm. And one of the key things that you bring up in the book is about self-awareness, right? And you say that there's, I mean, you give many, many examples of how you can measure self-awareness and what it means. It's the internal and external. Now, mm-hmm. do you do you think that a lot of times the external um, lack of self-awareness shows up before you become inspired about internal self-awareness? Or do you think it's um, sort of a natural progression where people, they do something to have a little success or a little failure, and over time they develop the self-awareness that's going to make something like this catch? Or do you think it usually comes because there's some external stimulus that sort of knocks them upside the head that makes them go, you know, I need to really pay more attention to this? So in my line of work, that, that, that what you just said, the latter, uh, I see that a lot, right? Where somebody, and people very often have become very successful, right? Because of certain, their skills, their behaviors, and, and, and just overall, perhaps their personality. Uh, but then something happens or they are hitting a wall for some reason, right? And then they have to look inward as well as like, what is it about me that seems to, I don't know, just make something up, that seems to turn people off or that, that, that it seems like I cannot forge long-term relationships or strong relationships. You have to look inward. Like, what is it about me? Maybe, maybe I don't value, right, being around people very much. Maybe I'm much more comfortable by myself or alone or, you know, as introverts very often value, you know, sort of more solitude and, and more private environments and they work very well on their own, whereas other people get more stimulated, right, with, with people around them. And so, but then, yes, that external that external self-awareness is also critical, right? So how, what is my impact on people? So it's, it's important to know how I feel and, and what goes on inside of me, my, my sort of profile, right? Which we can learn through assessments and through, through self-assessments and reflection and mindfulness and, you know, how we feel about things and, and how we process things. But then uh, really understanding your impact on others, how you come across to others. So you have to observe, right? I mean, Simple example, if you're talking and people aren't listening, sure, there are lots of bad listeners in this world, but 
maybe that also has something to do with maybe you're just rambling maybe you are you know maybe you are you know you're bringing things up that are offensive or you're not uh, diplomatic enough or whatever so you also have to look inward right so the the external world is giving you clues as to perhaps what's happening what are you contributing to this lack of success interpersonal success let's say but then the other thing that's very important so again because we have very good intentions often but then the impact is something completely different doesn't align so let's say i'm a manager and i i am super diligent and i want to make sure that things get done just right very often what's happening is that these super diligent people can become nitpicky and become micromanagers right instead of delegating and giving people freedom to do the work they need to do and so while your intentions may be noble that right you want to help people succeed you want to make sure things get done and executed the right way up to your high standards but then you micromanage right so the impact is completely different your people get disengaged they they feel like they have no power um, over the work no influence over the work or you know they're just sort of here to they're your tools so to speak you know which is awful and you won't know that unless you start paying attention to people and unless you get observer feedback and so this is where you need the 360s you need to sit down with people so i love what you did you send a you know you send an email to people and saying hey i want to know how i come across tell me what's working and tell me you know what would make me even stronger right what 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 could i be focusing on to make me better and you have to do that with a sense of humility, right? So that people actually feel like, no, he really wants to know. That's good. He's working on himself, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Because I know that a couple of people were like, are you sure you really want like this kind of feedback? And I was like, absolutely. And I spent time talking to him about what I was trying to do, what I was trying to achieve, what I was hoping to learn about myself. And the feedback I got was unbelievable. And I think it highlights the self-aware, like the ability to develop self-awareness in yourself because mm. – some of the a lot of the feedback that came back was not surprising to me. It was stuff that I kind of intuitively knew, right? But I was uncertain about. So when people came back and they highlighted some of these things that I was sensing, it was not surprising, and it just confirmed some of the actions that I needed to take. Um, mm -hmm. And and I, and I thought, I mean, it was one of the most eye opening and positive experiences that I've that I've taken on professionally in quite some time. And um, great. Brave, because that's not easy to, to ask people to point out things that you may not be doing so well. So I have to say that's not easy. And so you really have to think about, you know, it's a great thing to do, actually. You know, yeah. brave. Well, and, and just to give, you know, people who are listening to this podcast, like a little bit of an overview, right? I can talk about my, you know, my experience all day long. But from your point of view, you know, what would be like a couple steps that people should take to, you know, to do some sort of 360 assessment? You know, I, I worked on mine for about a week before I sent it out, you know, and it included seven questions that I kind of whittled down to get to like the core and make sure they were open-ended for people. Right. So that I didn't confine people to give me the answer I was looking for. I wanted to get an answer that maybe was surprising to me. But from your point of view, what, what are some of the things people should be asking to get that sort of 360 feedback? Mm -hmm. Well, so that you we're all familiar with the formal 360s that are done in companies, even those differ. Right. So there are some uh, just depending on what the emphasis, you know, we have a 360 that emphasizes or is sort of slanted toward emotional and social intelligence and you know measures uh 26 uh categories uh we have 78 questions to those and so slanted emotional intelligence 
And there are different types of 360s that, uh, right, everybody has a bit of a different slant to it, which is fine. But the key is to get feedback on, well, depending on your context, your management style, your leadership style, your communication style, your impact on others, uh, your performance in whatever it is that you need to know about, right? And that's very important. So you whittling down your questions and really thinking about the kinds of questions that would give you the answers you're looking for. That's important, right? And now you can do this in a way that by sitting down with somebody, you know, if you can't do a formal 360, similar to what you did, you could ask people that you trust, not necessarily your best friends or people that, you know, love you unconditionally. Uh, they may not be the most accurate, you know, in, in terms of giving you sort of unbiased, obviously, observations. But, you know, people that you trust and you can say, look, I'm, I'm trying to work on myself. I'm trying to, trying to develop myself. What, what do you think is working well for me? What, what are some things that you appreciate about me, some of my strengths, right? And then people will tell you and they're happy to tell you things that they see that are working really well. And then the more important question is, what is it that I could be working on to make me even stronger or to make me even more effective, right? And then you can tailor that a little bit more, like for instance, in my work with people, with my team, or generally as a friend, or as a, you know, as, as a leader, as a manager, how could I become a more effective manager to help you or to help people in general? So you have to tailor it a little bit, but, you know, make it easy for people to, to answer that question. And since people will generally not want to hurt your feelings and especially if you're doing it face to face that's why a lot of 360s are done anonymously but <clears throat> since you're sitting with somebody face to face or they know that you know who it's coming from you want to make it easy right so uh, you know rather than saying what's wrong with me or what do i need you know what where am i lacking or what are my weaknesses again it's not something people would necessarily want to so you could turn it around you could free frame it as what would make me even stronger? So in this case, for instance, if you are a micromanager, right? So if you say, what are my weaknesses? What do we need to work on? You don't want to, you don't want to compel people to say, well, you're micromanaging people or you're very controlling. So, but if you say, what would make me an even more effective manager? How could I become stronger? Now people might be able to say, um, well, you know what? If you give people autonomy in the work they do and you just coach and guide them to, toward the you know, standards that you've uh, set, uh, that will make them more engaged. And if they don't meet your standards, perhaps you can help them and help show them, you know, how they, how they can improve. Now, all of a sudden you get the same very valuable information about your style, but you, you allowed them to frame it in a positive fashion rather than, well, you're a micromanager or you're, you know, you're super controlling. No, that, wants yeah, that, no, that's exactly right. And it's interesting. You brought it up that way because that was sort of how I, and I didn't really even think about it this way when I did it. I was just like, let me frame it and ask you a question of knowing me, what do you think I should be focusing most of my attention on? Because it creates the most value for people. And, right. and, and, and people were like, oh, well, instead of all this stuff, you got to focus right here. This is what we really need from you. And it, it was really like, I mean, it it's changed the perception, the, the way that I express my business. Um, a tremendous amount and it's had a tremendous impact in just you know six weeks 
And, then, mm-hmm. and you know, you're, you're right. You don't have to ask people to slam you. You ask them to, to highlight a road that you can't see. It's a map, right? And you sometimes are too close to the road in front of you to see where, where you need to make a turn or adjustment, right? And it's just, you know, it, it's, it was really valuable. And um, I think that, you know, I want to point people before I forget to the the self-assessment that you have on, on your website that you've created, which is executive presence, uh, oh shoot now, indicator.com. Because I use that as I was starting this process, and I think it would be very valuable for people who are considering doing something like this mm-hmm. to spend the 10 or 15, 20 minutes going through the, the assessment, getting the information back, and then thinking about what you want to know about yourself. Because, I mean, I, I almost feel like I could do a whole podcast about what I've learned from that 360 assessment. And mm. from my own personal experience, I would say that, you know, be really open and honest with the people that you're talking to, especially mm-hmm. if you're asking colleagues and friends. And then as you work through the process and you learn stuff, you share that with those people because you may want to go back to them later on and ask them how you've done based on the work you started out doing so that they feel a, a part of the process. And I think that really be is a, to me been a very valuable idea as well. That's a great idea, by the way. So that's and this is something we do when we do executive coaching with uh, with uh, organizations. We we help them create a stakeholder network, people that that help them stay accountable to their commitments. In other words, if you're working on something, and let's say you're working on you know becoming a more effective listener, let's say let's use something simple. Well. Listen, if you work with your coach, if you work with me and, and every two weeks we have our session, right? If I asked you, how's it going with the listening? And you said, no, it's going really well. People seem to be uh, feel like I'm listening. Well, that's you reporting it, right? But if you keep getting this this feedback from people, if you ask the people that are around you, that observe you in, the, in your natural habitat, that can actually tell you, you know what? Yeah, I noticed you started making an effort, but then you started slipping a little bit. Or... You're listening really well with your direct reports and, and, you know, but then when it comes to your peers, you seem to always want to, you know, you're competing and you are interrupting. So you could focus a little bit more there on your listening skills. So you have this really valuable feedback throughout your, um, your, your whole development process and it never has to end, right? So, and really what happens is when you ask people to help you develop and grow, they start looking at themselves too, like, wow, maybe I should be growing too, you know, because people respect you. And so they go, well, if he is working on himself, then maybe I should start looking at what I can improve as well, right? And so this sort of constant feedback loop is uh, is very important, right? We, I mean, you know, you, we can't live without feedback if we want to be successful. No, that's exactly right. You And it, I think in a way, and this could be just me, but being, willing, being humble enough, I guess, to ask people. Oh, yeah. Um, to you know for their opinions and their ideas and then really following through on it and being like you know really really open about the process has really only improved my executive presence right you know in at least the eyes of those people that i that have been a part of this process with me because now they bring different questions and different ideas to me i mean in this i mean this is a month in right like that 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 i've done this and it's it's been really powerful to to notice that change it's unbelievably powerful Awesome. I'm so glad you're putting it into practice. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I do the same thing. I mean, I, you know, we feedback is, I mean, whether you're a pilot, an ER doctor, a special ops, 
uh, uh, you know, person. I mean, you name it. We all need feedback in order to be successful, right? But uh, for business leaders, feedback often only comes um, formally, right? Every quarter, every year, an annual performance review. That's just simply not enough. Yeah. Now, another thing that I, that I think probably, I mean, again, the book's littered with like so many examples and so many ways that somebody could gain value immediately from that it, it's ridiculous to try to narrow it down. But one of the things that I thought was really, really great was the way you talked about emotional control and mm-hmm. the way that um, there, you gave so many examples. Uh, the one, though, that I thought was really interesting was that you specifically talked about suppression and you said it doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that many of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, recognize the fact that like bottling up our emotions uh, doesn't help us at all. It, you know, that's those are the people like me or you or anybody who I'm holding them in, holding them in, holding them in. And then they explode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, why, how do you help people understand, though, that suppression is not a great way <laughs> to deal with their emotions? Because I think we all struggle with that. Mm hmm. Well, uh, you know, as you said, I mean, the book's packed with with research, so I rely heavily on the the, the geniuses that actually research this stuff. So neuroscientists, you know, that that uh, in fact, in this case, I think it was Kevin Oxner at, at Columbia or Matt Lieberman at UCLA, who who found that you know emotion suppression, suppressing emotions, uh, that's one regulation strategy. You just in my book, I say. You should never use simply because it does cause increased blood pressure, um, you know, stress hormones, and uh, it just can make you sick. Right? It can, there's so many different ways that can can make you sick, and it's basically by denying, trying to deny yourself the emotion. You're feeling upset. You're feeling sad. You're feeling angry, and just trying to bottle it up, right? And and ignoring it. And so, well, so what's the what's the answer? How, how do, and by the way, so this doesn't just hurt you. So they found that actually when you're trying to suppress an emotion uh, in, let's say, a difficult conversation, by suppressing the emotion, you're actually also inadvertently raising the blood pressure of the other person. So the other person somehow feels that, that you are suppressing, that your blood pressure goes up and their own uh, blood pressure goes up and their stress level goes up. So it's very interesting how that works. And so, well, what should you be doing, right? So, well, that's where the other uh, emotion regulation strategies come in. Everything from labeling the emotion, right, naming the emotion, uh, identifying what's happening, and giving it a name. Like, for instance, if you're, you know, if you're in a conversation or in a meeting, and you're you're getting upset, right, because maybe somebody just tried to take credit for your idea, or somebody spoke to you in a tone that seems dismissive or, or uh, you know, intimidating. Well, right, by just simply saying to yourself, okay, I'm feeling angry right now because I'm feeling anger because my colleague just tried to take credit for my idea and it's extremely unfair. And so that really, you know, makes me upset. So according to the research, by simply labeling and acknowledging the emotion, you're tamping down on the on the limbic system response. So you're you're getting less, you know hot under the hood, so to speak, which what does it solve your problem? No, you still have a jerk colleague who just tried to t- take credit for your idea. However, it does allow you to a you're staying a little calmer and it allows you to think more clearly because if your emotions run away with you, right? If you have what Goldman, Daniel Goldman calls an amygdala hijack where it, it's all, you know, red alert and fight or flight, 
then you can't think straight, right? Because your executive functioning in your prefrontal cortex is interrupted, basically, because all the resources are now on, again, fight or flight or freeze. And so by tamping down the emotion, you are able to think more clearly, you're able to reason a little bit better, and you're able to think more creatively, which you might say to yourself, okay, fine, I'm going to have a conversation with him afterwards, you know, that that's not cool, that, you know, we both worked on this thing, and uh, so, you know, we have to give each other credit. Yeah, and I think that, to me, the idea of being able to control your emotions, it lies at the heart of being able to also motivate people, because what you described just now was all of the dark sides, all the negative aspects of you know, executive presence, since that's the name of the, you know, that's the term we're using. But if you are able to control your emotions, you're able to catch your breath, do these things. It also helps you as far as motivating people to take action, right? Because you can then encourage people to do the things you need them to do or want them to do. Am I right? Yeah. No, absolutely. When you're super emotional, I mean, it, it just it just messes with your ability to think clearly. There's no there's no question about that, you know. And when you're nervous, when you're upset, when you're angry, um, when the emotions are when you're not able to regulate them up or down, uh, it's a problem. And by the way, up or down meaning sometimes we need to show more enthusiasm. We need to inspire people, right? We need to actually, you know, kind of show more emotion. I've seen that too, where leaders are just sort of hanging back in meetings or not participating enough or not engaged enough. Well, they need to show more emotion so that people actually feel inspired and motivated, as you just said. Yeah, I think it's knowing how to do that is a, an extremely um, powerful skill. I This is going to sound like a ridiculous example, but I'll use it anyway. It's um, If you want to know how to motivate or, un, or lead or motivate a group of people, Go coach an elementary school soccer team. <laughs> because if you can get the eight, nine, ten-year-old kids to pay attention to and follow you and buy into what you're doing, I think you can lead anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, two more things I want to touch because I know that you have to run off to a, a, another meeting. Is these things I think will be very valuable or very interesting to the, to my audience, which is the art of storytelling and how that impacts the, the executive presidents and how you use storytelling to help build your personal brand. Because as you you say in the book, right, self-branding, personal branding, however term you want to term it, it's not optional now. We all have to do this. Right. And so from your point of view, you know, can you describe those two concepts through your lens for the audience? Yes. You mean the strategic storytelling, the storytelling? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's very valuable to people who are listening to this. Yep. So storytelling is obviously something we've we've been doing since we were little kids, right? We've been told stories and then we tell stories. Every time we talk about someone else or an event, we're telling a story. So no we're all we're all fine telling stories. The key is to tell stories for a purpose, meaning uh, to support a particular objective, right? And so some of the stories I I say that people need to be able to tell, especially when you're in a leadership position, is a the story you tell about yourself, uh, which means that in order to gain established trust, in order to help people learn who you are, you need to be able to tell some stories that illustrate that, right? Maybe some strengths or vulnerabilities, weaknesses from your past, 
right? That show people that you're humble and that you've learned lessons and that they can relate to you, right? Um, and 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 so stories that demonstrate your your strength, your competence, right? Your expertise, perhaps your reputation. So these are all important things to establish credibility, to establish trust, right? Stories you tell about yourself. We often do this in introductions. Um, you know, stories that we uh, stories that we tell our teams, stories that we tell our teams, that's a particular kind of story, stories we tell our organizations. Those are the stories where if we want to highlight certain values, if we want to highlight, if we want to make sure that people engage in certain behaviors, um, then we need to tell the stories that have protagonists in them that do exactly the thing that you want to highlight. So, right, if I want people to be more more risk-taking or more creative, right, in, in, in meetings, then guess who I'm going to be talking about? I'm going to be highlighting the, the story of a person uh, that other people respect who took a risk or who, who did go out on a limb and who maybe failed. But you know what? Learn from that mistake and that, that lesson was valuable to everyone else, right? So the stories you want to tell uh, to your organization and your team they highlight certain values. And so whatever that is, right, you just keep telling those stories and people all of a sudden start, yeah, that's valuable. Okay, that's great. So they learn and they want to do the things that you're talking about, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so, and then, and then there, are other, there are other stories. You know, I, I say another story a leader needs to be able to tell is the stories others tell themselves about you. So you might say, well, how do I tell the story that others tell themselves about me? You don't really tell it, but you engage in certain behaviors and you behave with people in a certain way that makes them tell stories about you, like that you you become unforgettable, right? Listen, whether that's you're doing somebody a favor, you're helping somebody out, you're introducing someone to someone else, um, you know, you show kindness to someone, you go you know, go to bat for someone, you advocate for someone, your behaviors will influence the stories other people tell themselves about you. Very powerful. So if you think in terms of storytelling as a strategic, as a strategic tool, then it can be very, very beneficial. Some of the best leaders are excellent storytellers to simplify concepts and to basically highlight things that they want people to think about. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that, and, and thank you, because I think that's going to be really helpful to people. Now, the final question I want to ask you, because, uh, and I won't put you on the spot by talking about some of the examples from the original edition of the book, but to, in today's world, looking out from your vantage point, can you give me two or three people that you think exemplify executive presence? That exemplify executive presence, yeah. yeah. And if you need well, a second, I have three that I wrote down. <laughs> so it's interesting because I'm curious to hear who you who you've written down. But here's I, I'm going to give you something else to think about, and maybe people in general to think about. And that is some of the things that I mentioned earlier that are components of executive presence. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that we all have an executive presence profile, right? So we're stronger in, in some areas than in others. We're not great at all of them. The key is through self awareness is to figure out where we can where we, what we need to work on, right? And it's also important to realize that executive presence can shift. In other words, depending on the context. So you may be a good conversationalist in initial encounters with new colleagues, right? And, and you know, and, and be able to, you know, shine with your warmth and your strength, but then you get nervous and tongue-tied 
when you're speaking to others in a higher position than you or more senior level uh, 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 executives, let's say, senior level managers, right? Then you get, of course, you fall apart. So your executive presence goes right out the window in that situation, which means, so, uh, you know, I can list 10, 20 people that have executive presence in some situations, but they they don't show it in others, right? So it's such a, um, and then I can tell you people that you think may not have executive presence, you know, and you might, um, and, and they have executive presence, but it might be a dark executive presence, right? They're able to engage people, but they are taking some of their strengths to uh, to a point where, yes, you have the presence, but it's sort of a negative executive presence. It intimidates people. But tell me, who do you think? Uh, I want to hear your three. Who do you ah, think? Is- <laughs> yeah, in the way you laid it out is great because I didn't. I know. I and I know when you said it, it's obvious, right? Because negative, I think we we see so many examples of them today. Yeah. And, um, I was looking for three that I thought exemplified it in an aspirational way. Yeah. And in a way that like, you know, even if you don't agree with them or you don't believe in, you know, exactly what they're saying or doing, I think you can look at them and go like, I understand why people look to them as leaders. Right. So the three people I wrote down, uh, were Pat Riley, who coached the Showtime Lakers and the Miami Heat and the Knicks and is now an executive for the Miami Heat. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick Saban, who coaches the University of Alabama, and mm-hmm. Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and because to me, it's like it's not a political statement or a sports statement, even though I went to Alabama, as almost everybody knows. Um, it's more a reflection of, you know, they may they all take a different tenor, but they all share a vision. They all are excellent at communicating their points. They use um, motivation in the right spots. They also will use um, their words to make a point in a way that doesn't necessarily call somebody out specifically. Um, You know, they do seem to be able to control their emotions or use their emotions, you know, anger and happiness and sadness and all the different ones in a way that's more controlled. Um, You know, they they kind of fit to me, and I think it also highlights – um, a gap in, you know, just leadership maybe around the world is that I, I led right away with like two people from sports. Right. But. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and here, listen, uh, and if you were to look at these people that you just mentioned and you said, okay, so clearly because something stand out to you, right. As you know, having executive presence, well, you would probably be, equally able to find instances where you felt like they were lacking executive presence, right? And and so this is to my point of this shifting executive presence. If you don't, you know, uh, if you don't monitor, if you don't manage this executive presence, right? Um, because we all have executive presence in some way. You know, some people are super, you know, they're, again, they're great conversationalists. They're, they're very confident um, and, you know, look great. But then you can find other areas where they don't have it. So I, you know, I mean, you know, Martha Stewart has great executive presence and she went to prison, right? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey has amazing executive presence. Elon Musk has executive presence. But look at Elon Musk's. I mean, I talk about Elon Musk. If you've read the book. I talk about him, you know, in many different, I use him as an example. Well, he's different. a great example, right, of like how fluid it is. How fluid it is and how, you know, how, you know, his impulse, his lack of impulse control sometimes can absolutely hurt his executive presence financially and and, and reputationally. So I think that's something to keep in mind that you don't just, hey, looks like I have executive presence. I'm done. Good. Moving on to the next thing. No, it's something you will always have to monitor. And depending on the context, 
right? You may have to tweak it. You may have to uh, work on it. And, uh, but that's the beauty of it, right? It's something, it's like golf. You're never perfect at it. Oh, but I think that's what makes it awesome is the fact that you, it is something you kind of constantly need to cultivate, recognize yeah. and work at. And be aware of it. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Harrison, where can I point everybody to to find out more about you and your book and all the stuff you're doing? Absolutely. So, uh, well, the book's called Executive Presence, The Art of Commanding Respect Like a CEO. It's on Amazon and in your bookstores. And uh, it's also now out as an audio book. So if you'd rather listen to me talk for nine hours straight, that's perfect. Um, that's uh, that's available now on audible.com. And... Uh, and certainly, you know, if you're interested in the coaching, um, companies called Guru Maker Executive Development. We work with Fortune 500s as well as with uh, entrepreneurs. And uh, GuruMaker.com, G-U-R-U-M-A-K-E-R.com is where you can find us. Awesome. Harrison, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Talk to you soon. What do you think of my conversation with Harrison? I would strongly encourage you to go pick up his book. The second edition of Executive Presence, The Art of Commanding Respect Like a CEO is in bookstores everywhere. And I took action on the stuff I learned in it. And I can't recommend the book strongly enough. Uh, this is probably the book that I have been pushing out to people I know. Uh, the strongest since Annie, books, Annie Duke's book, Thinking in Bets. It's the best book I've read this year. It's so dense and so filled with like great, great ideas that... I, you know, I just really wish I could just give all of you a copy, um, but I can't. So, <laughs> so go buy it, uh, order it today. Visit the the indicator, the executivepresenceindicator.com, and take the self assessment. I think you'll be surprised at what you find. It is awesome. As always, you can find me by visiting my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. You'll find my blog there, which I update daily. I also have added a store. It's now live. There's one thing in it, but there'll be more later. In the store right now, though, there are 30-minute high-impact coaching sessions, which I developed out of some response and some testing that I did on my newsletter, which is the business of value, which you can get for free by sending me an email, dave at davewakeman.com. Put newsletter in the subject line. I will get you added. These 30-minute high-impact coaching sessions are an incredible way to rethink, reimagine, or revisit what you're working on and to get you focused in the right direction. You can find them on my website. If you are going to be in Australia, there's two things going on. At the start of the program, I talked about the Ticketing Professionals uh, Conference in Sydney on the 14th and 15th of November where you'll be able to see me and Simon Mapp talking about change in my case, talk about leadership, right? Simon's going to be talking about customer service, leadership, marketing, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, get your tickets today by visiting their website at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Again, that website is www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Also, I didn't mention it at the front, which is a lack of thought on my behalf, but I am hosting an event on Monday, the 18th of November in Melbourne. Not Melbourne, because they told me that if I said Melbourne, they could tell I was an American. So Melbourne, Australia, called Fans for Life, Fi creating and keeping customers in the modern world. It is a one-day workshop. It's going to be the only the second time I've ever done anything in Australia. A full day of talking about 
building customers, keeping them, growing them, storytelling, uh, customer lifetime value, um, the life cycle of a customer, uh, using technology to engage with your customers, growing a worldwide customer base and fan base, um, understanding how to use technology and merchandise and all these different ways to create streams of revenue, uh, opportunities to engage, and all kinds of really, really exciting stuff. Uh, you can find that link to get your tickets to the Fans for Life on my website. I am going to create a special tab that will send you right there on my website. But Fans for Life is in Melbourne. To get more information, or if you don't find the link, send me an email. Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Put Fans for Life in the subject line, and I'll hook you up. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being great partners on the Business of Fun podcast and just business in general. Cat um, is going to be at the Future Ticks Summit in San Francisco, so if you're there, stop by and say hello to her. Um, si- like I said, Simon and I will be in Sydney, Australia. Um, check out Booking Protect at www.bookingprotect.com. We have a blog. We're doing 10 trends that are impacting the live experience business. Um, we have a ebook that's get, about to get released. We are working on getting out what matters in tickets now, a collection of about 50 opinions from around the world of tickets about what really matters in tickets right now. Uh, just a lot of great stuff. So make sure you bookmark the Booking Protect website and you go visit that thing regularly because there's so much great information that's there, so many great ideas that'll help you grow um, your business, uh, deliver better customer service, and deliver more value to your audience and your market. It's great. So get to bookingprotect.com, uh, search for the blog. Uh, there's just so much there. Finally, if you like the podcast, if you're a regular listener, can you do something for me? Would you share an episode of The Business of Fun with a colleague or a friend? Um, also, if you're a regular listener, would you subscribe? And if you're a subscriber, would you leave a review? All of these things matter. They help make pe- make sure that people can discover the business of fun. They make sure that I'm encouraged to continue to deliver this content to you. And it's a great way to give back. I mean, I should highlight that more often. Uh, but please, if you're a fan of the business of fun, share an episode that you think has an impact with somebody that you know that might benefit from one of the messages. Uh, if you're inclined, subscribe. And if you're already a subscriber or a believer, please leave a review. Um, and until next time, thanks so much for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Uh-huh.